we were flexible this morning, right? We went in thinking, hey, we might have some rain, we might not. We're gonna go try to hit this cover. We get there, it starts pouring down, we peel back and come back in here to do this. And now the rain stopped and we're, we're easing up. But one thing that I have learned with grouse hunting versus like maybe pheasant hunting or out on the, the plains is being flexible has a lot of value in it and not sticking this is my plan i'm going to go hit this walk this turn over here do that especially when you throw the dogs into the mix and they're going all over the place and finding birds all having some flexibility i think will get you a long way when you're trying to chase grouse and not being rigid Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. I am joined with Mr. Gabe Stone. Gabe, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. We're sitting here. It's a bit of a soggy morning at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp where we're, we're uh, kind of reined into one of the guide shacks here and figured we'd kill some time and tell some stories in a podcast while we wait for the rain to clear out and maybe we can get back in the woods. Morale was high this morning. Uh, <laughs> everybody was hopeful. Everybody was hopeful. We were looking at radar and so, oh, man, it's only going to be sprinkling around for a couple of minutes. And I mean, what was it? three or four minutes before we pulled into where we were going to go. She let loose. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Everybody was, like you said, hopeful. Everybody, I heard numerous guides telling their clients, like, oh, it's just going to sprinkle. We'll, we might yep. get a little wet. And then we even drove out to the spot. We got to the parking spot, and it started, and we pulled the radar back up, and the radar had changed within a 30, 45-minute time period, something like that. It wasn't looking good. We got a couple hours left. Yeah. And, I mean— what do you, you're up here, you get to grouse hunt up here a little bit more than me. What's your thoughts on hunting in the rain when it comes to rough grouse? You know, you hear everybody say, wait it out, don't bother. Then you hear some people like grab a rain jacket. They're out there. The grouse are, it's not like they're going indoors. They're out there somewhere. Yep. That's their home. For listeners or anybody, if you have only a couple of days or you're making a trip out of something and it rains, like you said, the birds are there. I would a hundred percent get after them, but it's the name of the game is conifers. 100%. So rough grouse, they don't have oil on their feathers. And if you ever have shot a rough grouse or something, the dog retrieves it and brings it back to you. And it's kind of like a soggy bird. It's not like a duck or anything like that. They have a very low tolerance to the rain on their feathers. So they're going to be in conifers. They're going to be in something, a type of cover that is going to prevent water on their feathers. That's one half of the game is the conifer side of things. The next half of the game is getting the suckers to fly. Right. 
I mean, I've been there before where you see a bird in a tree and you kick the tree and it's kind of hanging on to the limb like, nope, it's not happening, buddy. They so. feel protected. They don't want to go get wet. They don't fly as well. And, and yeah, kicking them out can be a challenge. Yep. Blowdowns, they'll get down in the blowdowns too. But again, they, are, they do not want to get wet. But I tell people, especially if you had a streak of rain for a period of time, right when that lets up. They're going to be out and about, and they're going to be hungry. They don't hold a lot of fat on them, so they need to eat, and they need to eat frequently, and they don't want to get wet. So right when that breaks, they are going to be out and about. That is the time you want to be out there. Yeah. I mean, when it happens, if you're looking at your phone, looking at the radar, and it's starting to ease up, get the dog, get your stuff on, get out to the cover where you want to be. Yeah, don't fall for that whole let the sun dry it up first. Like nope. it, it, once the rain stops, they're out there. And I, and I did that in Michigan last last week to where it rained like three days in a row nonstop. And I went out with the rain jacket, and we're getting poured on essentially for the, there for a little while. But we were out there in the middle of it when it stopped. And as soon as it stopped, it's like the light switch went on, and birds were moving around again, and we we're kicking up birds. Yep. Yep. So. We kind of skipped the introduction to who you are, though. So let's backtrack real quick. Tell everybody a brief intro who you are and who you work with and, and what your responsibilities are. Yeah, absolutely. Gabe Stone, I am the Regional Engagement Coordinator for the Rough Grouse Society in the great state of Wisconsin and its honorary neighbor of Wisconsin, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I'm originally from southeast Michigan, grew up down there. We didn't have a lot of opportunities on wild birds there, and I always heard stories from my father of the ruffled grouse is what he always, <laughs> I mean, I was convinced that was the name of it up until, I don't know, five, six years ago. Down there and just with the habitat decline and a bunch of various different reasons, the birds aren't there anymore. And I got into this sport, or I guess you could say lifestyle now, about five years ago and completely changed my life. That's what led me to RGS. I lived out of a converted van for a while we called the bird wagon and really got a hold of it. But anyways, Rough Grouse Society, I'm the engagement coordinator for this region, and I focus pre predominantly with our chapters, members, some local fundraising events. We do various different types of events. Obviously, you know, the banquets, we do different types of shoots. We're working on incorporating dogs a lot more into it, so dog training days, things along that line, and our birds and brews. So I'm the point of contact for our chapters, our members in Wisconsin and the UP and get to meet great people like yourself and hang out and do things like this. Yeah. So mainly just sparking engagement and activity is the name of the game, getting, keeping yeah. people involved ultimately. And then I guess uh, outside of, and I, I want to circle back to your entry into the lifestyle and specifically how you ended up living in the van down by the river. But uh, you're also currently, as of yesterday, you now have a, a secondary moonlighting position, if you will, as a upland grouse guide here at Pine Ridge. Yeah. So what it, it's you said it was five, six years ago you got into this? No, four. Four years. Yep. 20, graduated in 2019. So it was the fall of 2019. I shot my first rough grouse. And then fast forward four years, you went camping in in your van, essentially, and now you're an RGS engagement coordinator as well as a guide at Pine Ridge and just hopping all over the place, living the dream. Oh, yeah, man. It changed my life. When I was younger, I was always like, man, I, I want to find my thing. I was always into deer hunting, turkey hunting, spending time outside, but I, I just never felt like I had 
my thing. And that very first trip I took changed my life. I was a, a senior in college, and that was my last semester. And I, I went on this trip, got so hooked that I failed my very last class at college. Oh, man. Uh, which was fine. We talked. I told the whole story to my professor, and, he and I, I got a B out of it. So it, it all worked out. But, yeah, it grabbed me like I've never been grabbed by anything else. What, was the professor a grouse hunter or no. dog guy at all? No. He just thought, he was like, man, you're really getting after it. And, he's, <laughs> and I kind of a sales guy or whatever. And, I mean, it was a 25-minute conversation. He said, you know what? I think a B. I think yeah. a B sounds good. And we shook hands and... That was that. <laughs> a B's good enough, but, you know, a C, you know, just see your way through it. That's yeah, kind of the I would have took a D minus all day long. Absolutely. Well, speaking of previous knowledge and, and growing out of that or growing into something new, when, tell me the story about when the ruffled grouse became the rough grouse to you and your entire lifestyle got turned upside down. Well, technically... The first ruffled grouse would be considered a partridge because he was sitting on the ground. I was going to say, ro <laughs> yeah. road hunting? Did yeah. you just ground swat it or 100%, road hunt? 100%. I think I'm going to try to put an article together one of these days that says something along the lines of the confessions and evolutions of a ground pounder. <laughs> uh, um, but I'd always gone on a camping trip in the fall in the UP. I'm from Southeast Michigan and always loved to get up there in the Northwoods in the big country at the peak colors. And it was always beautiful. And I've heard all these stories from my dad growing up. And it was always this romanticized thing of hunting these wild birds. And it was actually a Project Upland film that I don't know exactly how it correlated or popped up on my YouTube feed. But sometime ahead of that trip, a week or two, it came on, and I was oh, this looks kind of interesting. I clicked it, watched it, and I was just like, wow. That's Blown away. Yeah, and it's so, again, so romantic, and I was just like, man, I'm going to watch another one, and I watched another one, and I watched another one, and I said, Down you know, the rabbit yeah. hole you go. <laughs> I called my dad, and I said, hey, I'm I'm going to take a shotgun up there with me and try to chase some of these ruffled grouse. And he's like, well, man, that's awesome. You should. He's like, I never thought about that before. When you go up there, you should definitely do that. And it was the first or second week of October. And so that's what I did. And I stopped at some little sports shops along the way. And, hey, I'm looking for ruffled grouse. Any tips or any places to go or anything? Oh, and I got it like three times. What are you talking? You just need to drive down the logging roads. And, you know, they come out there. And they don't eat, live in the gravel. woods. They live no, on the road. No, no, no. <laughs> and do that. And so about the third time I heard that, I was like, well, I mean, the general consensus is this is what you do. You're looking, I was like, no, 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 I saw on this YouTube video, yeah, they had man. like a dog There involved. was a dog, it had spots <laughs> on it, I don't know, there was a bell somewhere in the middle. And yeah, I was obviously dogless at that point, so that's what I did. I was up somewhere in the UP, and there was this little road sign, it wasn't an official road sign, that some guy hammered in, and it was kind of cockeyed, <laughs> and it said Partridge Lane. Okay. And I remember distinctly, I, I need to go find it and drop a pin where it's at, just so I know. You got but plenty of people past, typing in Onyx, yeah, Partridge Lane, Partridge there's Lane. probably it's not 20 a real of road, them. Folks. <laughs> Some dude put it up there. And I remember driving past it and just catching a glimpse of it and looking over, because my dad would also call him Partridge. I said, well, that's about as good of a sign as any. So I put her Literally. in reverse. <laughs> I put her in reverse, ripped a, ripped a Louie and, and burnt down it, and yeah. That's the story of my first bird. It was out in in the road. He got kind of out off the road, jumped up on a stump or a stick or something, and kapow. That was it. 
And you're sitting there like, man, one for one. This isn't that hard. Yeah, that's why I was like, this is great, man. I could do this. <laughs> so that trip then turned into that camping trip was 100% focused on trying to find birds. And I'm reading articles when I was in town when I had service. I didn't have any other you know material with me and just trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. Actually, it's funny because one, we got a lot of rain up there. And I, I distinctly remember searching it with some, I don't know, the article, but, you know, I'm raining. I'm like, okay, this is a different thing. How do I find these birds? And the article said, go into the conifers. And I did. And that's when I shot my first one off the, the wing. And I also put up a woodcock. And at that time, I thought I was just the dude for finding a woodcock. It was Anger, the first shingle time. out, taking clients. I'm guiding Yeah, now. it was the very first time I ever saw a woodcock. I've seen pictures of them in sporting journals or whatever, and I was just besides myself holding this bird in the long beak and the goofy looking but beautiful at the same time. And right. I, at that point, I thought that was the the hard bird to get. And I was, I called my dad, oh, you never believe it, I shot a woodcock. Um and since then, I've, I've heard, you know, I've, I found out it's kind of switched a little bit. <laughs> to but, where the grouse use the woodcock to, yeah. a, as cover. Oh, man. It, and we're, we're definitely getting to that because what you and I had had a, a walk the other day that we'll have to recap because that was, we came back and essentially, you know, all the stories and examples you can hear chasing these crazy birds with dogs like we, we kind of experienced a rep or two of each example that you hear or or read about so it's one of those walks that we're going to talk about but i want to know from you getting involved and you're like i'm the greatest grouse and woodcock hunter ever born i'm up here shooting them you know finding them it's no big deal right you know, off the road the guy <laughs> on the video needed a, a dog i don't need a dog when did you come back down to earth because these birds have a very strong proclivity for humbling even some of the better shots I, i've met in life and so i'm assuming that you didn't stay on that high horse for too long before you're like you know what i need some backup i need some better education maybe let's throw a dog or two in the truck too Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I knew I didn't quite have my stuff in the group by any means. I was <laughs> like, I'm lucky that that all panned out. Like I said, I was trying to read all sorts of articles when I was up there. The whole camping trip turned out into this bird hunting expedition, trying to figure it out. And all the articles were referencing dogs. And at that point, it kind of clicked in my head. I've always had childhood. You know, we had kind of grew up on a farm. We had dogs running around always been a part of my life, but never any bird dogs. Um, and I had never really interacted with any of them. So on the way back, I started looking into different breeders, this, that, the other, trying to read articles on how to select a dog, where to go, figuring everything out. And then this steamrolled into why I failed my last class in college. It <laughs> completely engulfed me trying to find Breeders trying to determine what type of dog I wanted, reading, you know, dog profiles, X, Y, Z, watching as many videos as I could and trying to see how different dogs worked, et cetera, et cetera. And long story short, I don't remember exactly how or where, but I found some dude in Wisconsin with, and at this point, COVID started. So I graduated December, 2019, and then right into it, we had COVID. Take that for what it's worth. At this point, I was looking for a dog right in peak COVID 
lockdown, not supposed to leave the state type thing, and found this guy that had a Brittany in Wisconsin and called him and had given him a deposit a couple weeks ahead of time. And I was staying at my parents' place then, and I loaded in that morning. My dad and I loaded the truck up and we were going to burn over to Wisconsin, even though we weren't supposed to, and pick this dog up. And I called this guy in his litter and I called him that morning and said, yep, we're getting ready to leave. We'll be there at XYZ. And he said, well, um, I'm so I was just going to give you a call. I, I hate to say it, but the pup actually um, drowned last night in a water mm. bowl. And one of said, it's the first time it's ever happened. And I don't know if that did happen or he sold it to somebody else or. Seems like if it. It seems like a pretty random thing for him to make up. If he act, if he sold it of, to somebody else, I don't think he's going to... Yeah, the day of, like, for him to just be like, yeah, it drowned in a water bowl. And I, I know it's it's happened. Yeah. I've, I've heard of it happening before, but it's not, you know, the most common thing. But, you know, it, crap happens. So I went... Yeah, I went from about 120% excitement level to negative 20 uh. Yeah. In about 15 minutes. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not happy that this pup drowned or whatever happened with it. But I'm extremely grateful of where that Lady. has me now. Exactly. I had been in talks with Kyle Warren of Paint River Llewellyn's or Llewellyn's at that time, Setters now, about trying to get a puppy. And, you know, this guy's got, he's out for a while. He, you know, that's a pretty dialed program. And that's not the guy you call to have a pup in three months yeah that spring you you call for three years yeah ahead of time <laughs> and i was hounding him and hounding him and he's like nope it's not gonna work like <laughs> i can get you on a list we can you know and we had wonderful conversations he talked to me for i mean collectively hours and yeah. a couple of different calls we had trying to iron me out and i'm asking him all sorts of questions and so then this happened with this little britney pup and i got back on the horn with him and i was just relentless and the stars aligned, and that was at that point when he was moving from New York to where he's at now in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And he had a dog that he was planning to keep for himself, breeding rights female. And he said, hey, man, this is this is your only bet. Like, this is the only dog I have right now that's potentially available. Is that something that you would consider? And I just, yep, 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 yep. I want it. Let's do it. Let's roll the dice. I'm getting into this. Let's go. Let's dive in. And at that point, I had bought my van, but it was completely empty cargo van. I hadn't started anything on it. So I threw a hammock in the back of it. I drove. <laughs> I don't know exactly how far it was now, but it was 20-something hours one way into New York in the middle of COVID. I'm, like, sneaking through. I got a temp plate on it, and I'm like, I'm not. Uh, last thing I want to do is get busted for doing this. Met up with Kyle and got Josie. My very first bird dog, and she was born April 4th, 2020, so. Man, I can't even remember my dog's age, and you remember their exact birthday. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is Lila was born April 3rd, or no, one, one of them's the 3rd and one of them's the 4th, but exactly two years apart. Yeah. So that makes it easy. And she was born on, Lila, my second one, was born on my first day at RGS. So talk about an omen. <laughs> I chalked that up. But anyways, I went out there. Got this dog and slept in the hammock that night and burned all the way back to Michigan. I'm looking at him like, what am I going to name this thing? I don't know. And I got back to the house, exhausted, fell asleep on the couch with 
snuggled up with the puppy and all the guys on here. Like, you're not supposed to sleep with dogs, whatever. Then it, then, it's, then it starts your first dog. You never do this, never do that, never do that. Yeah. It's just like, good Lord. Like you, if you handle everything with kid gloves like this, like, you know, it, can I have fun, fun with my dog? Exactly. You know, can I enjoy it at all? <laughs> like hunting season's a couple of months. I mean, you can extend it, but they're companions for me and my best friends the rest of the year. So I, I got Josie and I started building this van out and got trying to track down pigeons and trying to train this dog and not really knowing what I was doing. But thankfully, I hedged my bets right. And she was pretty out of the box, knew what she was doing. So I just helped that along the best I could mm-hmm. and tried not to step on myself and make mistakes and got Josie, finished the van. It didn't quite make the opener, but it was late September. Threw the dog in the van, six months old or whatever, and burned up to the UP. And it wasn't our first day, but the second day, I got her out, got on some birds, shot my first grouse over a dog. It's the very first dog I ever hunted with. Very so first you had dog. never even been in the woods with another dog? Never. Nope. And Josie yet, was the very first dog I was in the woods and, with. And, and you're doing this solo by yourself? Yeah, 100%. And see the, In COVID. stuff like that that's what i appreciate is essentially i want to do this i'm just gonna go do it you know so many people get caught up in i want to do this i need help yeah you know yes everybody needs help everybody needs to hit that fast forward button and learn from other people around them but there's also something to be said for the attitude of i want to do this i'm doing this with or without somebody's help yep with help, I can hit fast forward on this, but I'm doing it regardless. And just that kind of can-do attitude results in you being able to shoot your bird over your first dog, the first time in the woods with the dog, at six months old. Now, not all puppies and dogs are created equal. That's not possible with all the dogs. But it's definitely not going to happen by sitting on your couch or just constantly researching dogs online saying one day, right? It's just like you, what you did is just, I'm going to pull the trigger and go do it. Yep. And some of my friends, you know, for, for good or for bad, that's kind of a personality trait that yeah. I have. So yeah. <laughs> they, um, yeah. But it, it's also important to note too, at this time, um, I had quit my job. At the beginning of COVID, too. <laughs> you, you, you really did just go off the oh, deep end. Oh, 100%. I said, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to figure it out. So all I had to do was build the van out and train this dog in the summer ahead of it, and the whole fall I was off. So, I mean, that's important because some people, that's a huge luxury to be able to do that. Granted, I, I lived in a van without a shower or whatever for a while. <laughs> so, you know, there was some trade-offs. You, you went full bachelor. You know, there's some yeah. guys listening to this. They're like, well, easy for him to say. I'm married with kids and everything. I'm not saying everybody has to quit their job yeah. and go all the <laughs> way in the deep end. Yeah. But more in line with like, let's just start with the trip. Like, go get the dog and then take the trip, right? Yep. You know, nobody's saying that you have to go live, you know, Chris Farley style in the van down by the river. Yeah. And I think I'm a firm believer that you, you learn more things by doing it and messing it up absolutely just being told the right way to do something and it it hits a little different and it means a little more we screwed all sorts of stuff up (laughs) i screwed a lot of stuff up the dog had it pretty dialed but yeah we did that and lived up there out of the fall i came back for deer season in michigan grouse hunting closes down for firearm gun season came back down for that and then burned back up there in the snow thankfully i had a little heater 
in there and we ran the season out until about Christmas. And not, not even really having a dog or someone else to compare yourself to talk to me about like what's unfolding in front of you. How's the dog developing? What's your thought process? Do you have any kind of second thoughts about jumping into the deep end like this? You know, just talk to me about what you're watching unfold in front of you. And are you just ecstatic every, every step, you know, every time that dog learns something, every time you learn something to your point, you learn much faster by doing it and failing than you do by somebody telling you because we've all been in the woods to where it's like, oh, I kind of recognize this. Somebody once told me something about this. And then you spend your entire time trying to remember what they told you instead of just taking what's in front of you for a lesson and, and the value right there in front of you. So like when you're out there just making it up as you go along, talk to me about the learning curve. Absolutely. So you're talking back that, like that first season. When I yeah. Started. Yeah. Yeah. I had a little plant guidebook with me trying to figure out what different, Oh, funny story. I thought Alder, you know, the Alder cat. Yeah. I thought that was Hazel. Okay. For, I don't know. Not the worst thing to no, I misconstrue. Mean, no. They're both good sources. Yeah, it's not. They're both good sources. Grouse, it's not necessarily a preferred food item. But the nice thing is they love holding up in it. Exactly. So that's where I think I, I'm like, well, I go in here and I find birds. Yeah. So this is great. There, there was a lot of that. I found out that the conifer game is pretty important instead of just a straight monoculture kind of aspen stand without understory or this. I mean, there's all sorts of, all of this is super complex and I'm by no means an expert, but I found little tips and tricks. And when I'd find a bird and flush a bird, I'd take a picture. I'd take a picture of my point of view of where the bird was and anything else kind of right around that looked like, oh, this is kind of stand out. Maybe this had something to do with this. And then, so it was a, Josie was six months old at the time. And right, it, you shouldn't be hunting a pup for very long that period of time. Yeah, Grant, not at right, that an age. hour, forty-five minutes, something That's like that. That's about right. We had some long hunts on <laughs> that went a little longer than that, but the rest of the days, I was trying. I would look back at, okay, where did I find these birds? Where were they in? What time of day was it? And really try to put a lot of stuff together. And also, Kyle was helpful very helpfully gave me some some good tips of kind of what to look for but there was nobody you know he's busy doing his thing and I wasn't being walked through this or I you know mentored with with somebody he was the very first person I hunted with with Josie two months into this month and a half into the season or something when he was assessing her for her breeding program but yeah I, I think being very keen of your surroundings and I happens to me all the time still as you bird goes up and you shoot or you don't or the dog bumped it or it didn't so you're worried about that or whatever but just kind of take a, a moment back and look at your surroundings see where you're at make a mental note of that or geez onyx i don't it's been i think two years before i started realizing that i could or should take notes in there and everything else and and that, that's a good tip. It's like when you first started, they didn't, I don't think that they had the feature to where you can add a picture to the waypoint. And you saw me when we were hunting the other day. I always try, I mark all the grouse flushes because yep. I tell everybody when I come up here, it's more or less just hyper fast education so that I can try and, and apply that down south for whatever commonalities there are. 
So every grouse flush I'm having up here, I'm marking. I don't do it for the woodcock flushes, but I do it for the grouse flushes. And I have been trying to start taking pictures of what it is. And it is nice to go back through your waypoints and being able to like, okay, there it is. And you're not just looking at the map details, but you can actually see what that looked like at on, that the spe- on the ground yep. specific time. And then you do that for a couple seasons, you got a pretty substantial database that you can resort back to or reference back. And even if you're coming up here and traveling, you can kind of hit that refresh button and kind of re-download all that information that you forgot from the previous season. Oh, absolutely. And if anybody's anything like me, my memory, I always think it's going to be better than it is. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, I'll remember this. And then two weeks later, yeah, what gone. was that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone yesterday. Yep. So... But, I mean, that is a good point. I mean, it's like you say that you didn't really have somebody teaching you or showing you, but you, you know, time in the woods, that's the best teacher anyway. You know, it's you can read the book, listen to the podcast, have the mentors on the phone day in, day out, go hunt with other people. But until you can actually just go out there by yourself, you and your dog to where you don't have that, you know, lack of a better term, safety net to rely on and be dependent on. It's like, no, you, you you're the one responsible, like whether you're <laughs> successful or unsuccessful hinges on your capabilities and your decision-making. And yeah, you're going to go out there and you're going to have some potentially long, boring, unsuccessful hunts that you come back like, man, I just wasted a lot of time and dog power. And then when it starts piecing together and you start getting these little glimpses of little nuggets, know, little, little nuggets and, and you, you get more, successful and consistent with picking out decent cover and routes and stuff like that it's it's kind of it starts to become almost second nature to you then and and to me like that is the benefit of doing what you just said is like take a deep breath stop like if you shot the bird or not like that bird's not going anywhere yeah and take it all in for around you know call the dog and water them and just look around you know, if you got a plan ID app on your phone, take a picture. I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of stuff you can do to really kind of focus and really educate yourself on this game. I absolutely agree. Yep. And what's funny is then you get to the point to where me and you don't know each other. We've literally never spoken before we got into camp together here. Yep. We just randomly decide, hey, let's go hunt together. And you're like, you know, I told you I, I got a pen on the map. I want to go explore. You're like, yeah, I got one. That, you know, let's do a morning and afternoon, do two different spots. And both spots, we both had pinned on our maps. And neither one of us have been there. Yep. And it's, what, 25, 30 minutes away. Like, it's, you know, there's ample cover up here. And just the fact that, like, we pulled in and you're like, yeah, I dropped a pen on this last night. Yep, yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> and, let's go check it yeah, out. And it produced, both spots produced. And it's when you start kind of figuring it out, it's funny how often something like that happens. Absolutely. And I, I would say, especially when I referencing back to the van, is getting your eyes on the cover, right? Boots burnt, boots on the ground or burn boot leather or whatever really, really is important. My, my methodology in the van when I just had one hunt a day with the dog was if I cannot get my eyes on it and I, I'm not convinced this is good cover, I don't hunt it. But... And I would suggest that to people that just have very little little time or just a couple of days if they're going to go at it their own. But getting into the cover, like even that, that first cover we hunted, we're like, this is pretty good. We like this. We like this component. We like this component. We got 
back there a little farther and it changed a little bit on us. And then we came around and got into some more birds. Afterwards, we're like, yeah, that was not bad. good, not bad. It might be better a little longer uh, down the line. A few weeks from now, yeah. Yep. A little older or further in the <laughs> season. We were literally, I mean, we had just walked in. I mean, we were just... I don't know, maybe four or 500 yards into the cover. And I remember looking up and we're doing that critique. This is not bad. Yeah, we're like kind of looking like over that. at each other like, yeah. Yeah, And I remember you're, you're like, yeah, it's not bad. It's this, this, and this. I don't know if it's the right time of year. And then right yep. behind you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they like these blowdowns though. <laughs> like this. God. And then there it goes out out of that blowdown you're looking at, and it just it did what grouse do all the time, and just freezes you. And you look up at me, you're like, "I'm sorry," and I'm like, "It, it, <laughs> it happens to all of us. Like it just it, it cracks me up because it, it just no matter how much experience or time in the woods, those grouse will always make us look ridiculous sometimes, and and humble you real quick. There's a nugget in there too because I think it happened. I know for a fact, two, if not three times in there, we had stopped like that point and are talking or looking at each other. And there goes a bird right beside us. Grouse do not like movement activity in the woods and then it's stopping. They get nervous. They get cagey. So they will let you walk right right, past. Right past them. And that's the benefit of dogs is their nose will pick up what our eyes and ears can't pick up when they're being stationary and this first walk that we're talking about this was Quinn my my little setter pup just one and so you're dealing with a dog that the light bulb's flickering it's coming on every time you drop her on the ground she's getting bird contact she's just figuring out the game what to work what not to work the range how to work with me and so there were some spots in there to your point that she didn't effectively cover like what a, a veteran dog would probably do. And so some of those those birds that you're talking about that flush while we stop or, or we're figuring out, hey, should we go this way? You could say that those birds should be picked up by the dog. And with a veteran dog, you, you would be correct. But you just, you know, with the pup on the ground, you have to accept that, you know, it's more exposure and training than actual quote unquote hunting. And I think that's what a lot of people yep. fail to understand when they're dealing with a young, inexperienced dog. Yep. I would agree. Yep. And so, but through that hunt, we're figuring out the cover, we're figuring out this, we're working some transitions and cuts, and we start finding success. Quinn's light bulb starts blinking on and flickering. And we start getting into some birds and it's like you get to see that natural progression in puppyhood is what I call it, leading up to their first kind of point and success, which we're getting to with her. Oh, I mean, that hunt itself had three or four different, you know, micro levels of her turning on switches from when we first went out to by the time we were back up to the truck. Absolutely. What are some of those switches that, that you notice? Like walk me through the eyes. Cause you know, it's one thing when an owner takes their dog out and they're looking for specific things, but I think I told you even I'm still getting to know her characteristics and actions. What were some of your observations and what you saw kind of the light bulb moments and the switches turning with her throughout the walk? So remember I said, my memory's not that great. And this was two <laughs> days ago. So we're really pushing it now. A couple of things I noticed is, especially after that bird went up, the very first bird beside me, she was doing real nice kind of cast, but I noticed her come back behind us and kind of out to the side, kind of clover leaf instead of just out in front, 
which I really like in a grouse dog. Scent pockets that I'm no master of scent theory by any means, but sometimes they can go past and just not pick it up. And I really like a dog that will kind of work out to the side, even if it may have already went on a straight line through that and also behind a little bit. I mean, I don't want them spending the, you know, a bunch of time behind me, but that kind of quick loop back there, make sure that we didn't walk past anything. I noticed her doing that a couple times. I think that first bird that flushed right next to me, that foot, foot kicked up, and I think there was a wild flush. She didn't write everything off behind her or that she, you know, did a straight line through. It's like, oh, that might be worthy to kind of loop back a little bit and pick up some some different scent on. I noticed that after we got that first bird, her retrieve, her search for that one compared to the second one, I thought was a was an improvement. Should oh okay, this is gun go boom. There's the bird. <laughs> okay, I pick it up. I come back to you, um, and then the second time uh, when she pointed the bird there for instant, she she knew what she was doing. She said, okay, now I'm going to go search for this bird and try to get it in my mouth and bring it back. Pretty much same observations as me. It's kind of like throughout the walk, her search went from more, from less random, let's just run amok and see what we smell, to more targeted and focused on objectives, right? You know, to your point, she's just kind of out doing the puppy yo-yo is what I call it. Like, let's go run really far out. Let's run back in. Let's do the cloverleaf, you know, circles and figure eights out in front. Then when we walked up that first bird and out of the brush pile, we kind of gave it a second, let her come in, smell it around. Like, to your point, it was like right behind us. And she got, you know, she got that, snort of cocaine is what I call it. Yeah. And, and, you know, all of a sudden, oh, there, there's targets out here. And then we could, yeah, we, she worked that one area where that bird was at. And you could tell that the bird maybe not been moving around yet. It was still early for whatever reason, she didn't figure it out. We sat there and saw her get pulled in to there and then leave. And we're like, all right, well, maybe there's nothing in there. And then of course we go up there, bird gets up, we shoot it. Quinn wasn't even in, anywhere near it. Sent her in for the retrieve. So she got the retrieve. She associated that bird scent with that bird, bringing it back to me. Then after that was that woodcock. Oh, that, man. She, that she went, that. Yeah, she went in there and nailed that woodcock. I mean, I think it was like 75, 80 yards away. We got in there. She held, you know, she And she staunch. wasn't right up. It was not, you know, no, five she, feet in front of her. No, was, I think it was like 10, 15, 10, 15 yards, yards, if I remember. Yep. And, of course, it gets up. We shoot it. She retrieves that again, which I'm ecstatic to kind of see her retrieve drive kind of come alive when feathers are in play and you're not just dealing with a bumper. And then to your point, on the way out, we go in and, and we're not seeing anything. But then out of nowhere, like she was working out in front of us and to our right. And then we hear the bell go silent before the collar even goes off. And to your point, she had circled far wide to our right and circled back about 20, 25 yards. And she hit, there was three or four conifer trees back there. And all, that's where all of a sudden that bird comes kicking out of there, left to right. I miss it, of course. You hit it. And then she goes and retrieves it. And there's your first pointed grouse right there. Like, you can't. I think you might have got a little bit. I was just the insurance policy, the, the end of life insurance policy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so I got a fraction of it, but you you sent it down. Yeah. But either way, I don't really care. The point is, is the bird 
got shot. She got the reward. Like, you know, how often do you know of a young dog finally puts the pieces together? And and she has pointed a few grouse over the past couple of weeks and you just can't really close the deal. We finally got the entire equation, the sequence down to where it's just like, okay, that light switch should be on, on. And now it's off to the races with this. And and that's what I told you back at the truck. It's like, should we have had more grouse in the bag on that walk? Probably. probably. You uh, always probably should. Right. <laughs> but it, it was, it was awesome. Exactly what you want with a young dog on the ground, the lessons. And that's what I enjoy about working pups on the ground is when that progression to where it's just like close, closer, got it. <laughs> and sometimes it just has to work out that way to where I think a lot of people expect the got it moment right out of the gate a little too soon. Yeah. And don't forget too, she pointed that big, huge turkey grouse right after that woodcock. Yeah. Got up. No, yep. that's right. I forgot about that. And so there, there were other, that was a runner that got quite a bit out there. Yeah. And we, we just couldn't By get to it, it in got time. Up. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but the, those are the examples of, of why I come up here because, you know, to build a grouse dog, it takes grouse and you just, you got to get the contacts one way, one way or another. I completely agree. Yeah. So why don't you talk about from the puppy run, the light bulb run going into the afternoon hunt, which me and you just had a lot of fun and think really fondly of this particular walk, even though we should have had a lot more birds in the bag. <laughs> we could have done a little bit better shooting. Right. Yeah, they were two completely different hunts. One is the cover was quite a bit different when we got back on, on that second spot. we went. I mean, both of these hunts, we were out, what, three hours the first run yeah the first one was just under three hours and then the run we did with lucy and lila or yep, that yeah, was, lila. It was lila lila and lucy went out and we were out there for another three or four hours on that run that was a, a bit longer one and you know it's like when you just keep running into freaking contacts and birds like that the cover was different but me and you as soon as we kind of went through that one edge and into the cover me and you both were like oh this is what we've been looking for yeah this is the ticket now <laughs> i mean walking up to it we put three birds up there that was a whole completely different hunt we kind of split off there for a second too before we kind of reconvened and ponied up for the rest of it the you want me to talk about the cover or the difference in whatever man the uh, dog whatever work? stands out to you yeah cuz there's so much to, to uncover. And then all the different, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a hunt to remember. When grouse hunting, people always talk about edges and diversity, um, X, Y, Z. And it, it can be hard trying to, if you're not a grouse hunter, trying to discern, okay, what exactly is an edge that they're talking about? Is it a two-year age difference in Aspen that butts up to another? Is it a complete pine stand next to all their, what exactly is it? It can be all of those things. Sometimes a little bit more of a defined edge is better than not. But we had old growth aspen going into young aspen that had been previously dry up here this year that you could tell had a little bit of water under it with a hazel understory that then transitioned to alder and narrowed down. The one thing I really liked about that cut that at the tail end of it, we were completely out of the cut. We weren't mm -hmm. even in the, you know, formal Aspen cut anymore, was it was really fingerling. 
and it wasn't just a square block yeah. aspen cut, which provided us with little kickoff islands and everything little around there. Little peninsulas, if peninsulas, you will. Peninsulas, yep. And that whole thing versus a, a square 40-acre um, aspen cut to a 40-acre cut that is just oblong and all sorts of different shapes and sizes. That provides you so much more edge opportunity to hunt. And I mean, that was that was every aspect of cover you could almost ask for in one spot. And we only hit about a third. Yeah, we uh, did, half of it. We, we did. I don't think we even got halfway. I'd say about a third of it. And after about 20, 25 minutes, you know, when you're figuring out cover and you're hunting with somebody, it's like you'll you'll start calling out like, oh, here's a food source. Here's an acorn producing oak. Here's some rose hips. Here's some hawthorns. And it's like after a few minutes, we got tired of calling out the food. It was everywhere. Yep. And then you had the conifer everywhere you know spaced out it wasn't just a contiguous line of conifers it was just you know kind of patchy and then to your point the hazel and then the understory on the ground it was made yep. for grouse and then greens too a lot of grouse yeah. salad yeah. a lot of salad little strawberry leaves and etc it was chock full of food cover diversity edge and none of it seemed like a monoculture for lack of a better term yep we no longer had to look and this is when i like these are the covers that I like when you get in there and it's so vast and contiguous and everything looks good. You can put the screen away and stop referencing the map and Onyx yep. and you can just start concentrating on working objectives and maybe check the Garmin Alpha to be like, hey, did we hit that spot over there? You know, circle back and and, and start, you know, kind of almost grid searching it a little bit. And once we got in there, you know, up up into the cut, like I hadn't really come across any. any you were birds. on the wrong side, buddy. <laughs> I was on the wrong side. You were flushing. I heard some shooting. I'm like, man, you know, Lila's tearing it up. Me and Lucy can't buy a bird over here. But to your point, when we came through the cut and we entered, you know, Oz, it's uh, the birds came alive, and all of a sudden, Lila's handling a bird over here. Lucy's got a bird over there. Lila's tracking over there. Lucy's tracking over here. Grouse, woodcock, woodcock, grouse, and it's just. One of those action packed to where if either one of us actually had a, a good shooting eye that day, you don't get to say this very often in the world of rough grouse hunting, but we could say that like with mediocre shooting, both of us should have had a limit. Like we were actually getting good windows and, and shot opportunities. It just, for whatever reason, it's just not connecting. <laughs> Couldn't could buy it. But it, it, a few of those contacts stand out. And, and the fact of what we notice right off the bat is, and you come across this from time to time, but in, in this scenario or in this walk, we noticed it a number of times in a row to where every time a dog would be on point, we would go up, a woodcock would get up and we wouldn't shoot at it. We'd be, you know, woodcock and it would just fly off because, you know, we're looking for grouse on this walk. And as soon as we kind of drop the shotgun and be like, it was a woodcock, there goes a grouse. And it's like the first time, it's like, ah, oh, that sucks. The second time, like, again? Then the third time in a row, within a matter of five, ten minutes, almost, it felt like, it's like, all right, these grouse are using woodcock Use, scent yeah. to, to cover up. They're, they they're strategizing us. Yeah. <laughs> 
So out of that walk, what were some of the contacts that stand out to you? We can't recall all of them, of course, but what, what are some of the moments throughout that walk that stand out to you? I think I think once we figured that out and we'd said, it, oh, man, that woodcock was or that grouse was hiding right with that woodcock. Once we said it the first time, I think we kind of tossed it in the back of our head. Once it happened the second time, I remember us both looking at each other and being like, OK, this, so this is the game. And the third time that happened, I think we were a little little more prepared. <laughs> One is interesting. Two's a coincidence. Three's a pattern. <laughs> yeah, three's a pattern. And I was ready when that when it happened the third time. And the funny thing too with at least my dog in because that was all in one little chunk. That was all on one line of the trail that we were walking, or not trail, but just our path. Is that Lila? My dogs aren't steady to wing or shot. They point the bird, and they're both tracking dogs as well. So sometimes they're you know on a cat creep kind of track when the bird goes up. But anyways. I noticed the first two times that Lila didn't break on the woodcock. And I was like, huh, interesting. And that when the third time that happened, she was still standing right there. And I was looking at the dog and here comes a grouse, Mach 4 out of a, <laughs> <laughs> out of a conifer. And I don't think I connected on the first shot where it was kind of in the open. And the, the second shot was straight through the conifer that it was flying into. And you yelled over, man, do you get up? I don't know, man. You've been kind of shooting like hell. I don't know if I did. I'm like, I felt like it was right on it. And there goes Lila and Lucy. Did you, I'm trying to think, did you shoot a woodcock before that? The one with Lucy? I don't, I think it, it was around the same time you shot the grouse. And then I went over there. I can't even remember which dog was on point. It was like there were so many contacts. And then a woodcock got up. I shot at it because it, that's right. It was, I shot at it because Lucy was on point yeah. and Lila was backing and it was just too gorgeous of dog work. Not perfect. To, exactly. It was just perfection. It's like, it's gotta be perfect dog work. Yeah. And it was just one of those like picturesque, like if you had a camera, like it'd be a frame worthy picture of two gorgeous dogs just slammed and staunched up. Woodcock gets up, I take a poke at it, and you're like, did you hit it? And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. It, it went away. But of course, you know, you stand there a while, a while and you let the dogs kind of work, and they don't come back with anything. But then it was like a few minutes later, was it Lila that got the grouse? Or was it, uh, yeah, so the one that you took a poke at, didn't think you got, all of a sudden Lila just shows up with a grouse in Yeah, her mouth. a minute and a half, two minutes later. Here comes Lila, and we look over, and we're like, okay. Yep, there's sweet. the grouse. Sweet. Uh, you always have that <laughs> yeah. exhilarating, like, all right, I got it. And you feel better because it's just like you don't kill a bird just to leave out there for the coyotes, right? No, absolutely. And follow up on grouse. Exactly. Well, follow up on anything, anything you shoot at. But especially, and, I think, a higher percentage of people think yeah. there's, it's it not a lot all the to time. kill a grouse. Follow up on your yep. birds if you feel confident yep. that you put something in it. And then, like, as we're coming down on that, kind of getting back to our base level, I look up, and here comes Lucy with the woodcock, you know, four or five minutes after I'd taken a poke at it. I'm like, holy yep. crap, it happened again. And then that was at the point to where, like, as we're sitting there chatting, I think Lila pulled you off to my left a good ways. I think she went on point again. Yep. And Lucy kind of went with y'all, and I'm just sitting there looking at the map. I'm like, all right, where do I want to go from here? And all of a sudden, Lucy's point chimes in on the collar, and I look down, and 
50 yards. And I'm like, I yell at you. I'm like, hey, Lucy's on point over there by you. And then I go back to looking at the map, not thinking anything. And then I look at it and I just see that little tracking number just creeping up just ever so slightly, like 50 yards, 53, 50. And it just keeps going and going. And I'm like, she's not running. I was like, she's working a tracking bird. And then all of a sudden, 89 yards goes back on point. And I even yell at you. I'm like, hey, says she's on point 89 yards. And I guess you can't hear me. So I'm still sitting there for like two minutes. And I'm like, well, I get, let's just go see what she's at. And I, I walk all the way over there. She held the entire time. And sure enough, Grouse gets up, you know, 15, 20 yards in front of her and you were over there and just shot the ground. (laughs) It it takes off, you shoot it, she goes and gets it. And I'm just like, that dog just tracked that bird, you know, 40, 50 yards and you got it. And she held point. Like I'm ecstatic. I'm just like, that's phenomenal dog work. And then on the way out, it's just, again, we're just kind of shooting our way out of the cover and so much opportunity again we should have had more birds to show for it but it was just one of those walks where it's just you walk out with four or five different stories that you're just like each one kind of means something to you in a completely different way yeah i mean we got some birds though yeah oh we we did we we got we ended up i think on the day we ended up with what five or six grouse and then i think we both had the had a limit of woodcock if I, I I can't remember on that, but what's interesting is on the way back, and this is something anybody listening to this and and I even made a a post about it on Instagram the other day is there is a truck bird every time but truck bird never unload your shotgun until you have your hand on the truck and and this is something i hunt with so many people they'll they'll make a joke like oh, i wonder if there's a truck bird and then unload their shotgun and then when a truck bird gets up or the dog goes on point they're behind and, and they're i'm like you're the one that said the truck bird so i live and die by don't unload the shotgun until you get back to the truck and and i've shot two birds on this trip because of that that the dogs find on the way back to the truck and me and you both we're in truck bird mode and Lila goes over there and points the the double of grouse and you get one right at the truck. And it just, it's just like, man, truck birds are real. Like it's one of those things you, everybody has those stories of never connecting on the truck bird. If you're going to take anything away from this podcast is don't unload that shotgun until your hands on the truck. No, and we were, as we were walking, we couldn't even see the truck yet. We were getting close, coming on the trail on the way back. You're like, yeah, so what do you think about truck birds, X, Y, Z, this and that? How do you think you would define that? We were chatting about this (laughs) and then we can see the truck. And I'm like, I don't know. I think you got to kind of see the truck. Maybe if you're out West, it'd be, I, and we get up there and the dogs are kind of bouncing around. And then I caught it out of the corner of my eye, just wham, point. And I'm like, that's truck bird. <laughs> that is over there. And we went in and I was able to connect with it after kind of some poor shooting. But yeah, and I did the same thing yesterday with my first client. We got back and we had an awesome day with 30 something grouse and a whole mess of woodcock. And he shot a limit and we just, he, we a limit of woodcock? Limit of woodcock, yep. We could not get him to connect with the grouse. We were trying, and most of the shots are, again, Mach 4 out of a conifer, up and over, low birds, or, you know, we had all sorts of everything. A couple good shots, shot opportunities, but we were seeing a bunch of birds, and we just, 
couldn't make it happen, and we got back to the truck. Mind this guy was 70 years old, and he did five and a half miles with me through the thick of it yesterday. And we got back to the truck, and I said, hey, Tom, you know, this looks kind of good around. You want to do it? He said, absolutely. <laughs> and I told him the thing about the truck bird, and we went all the way. I would suggest not to not unload your gun at the truck. Do just the tiniest little loop right around it. You know, you walk up on one side and the dog was on one side of a cover or a trail or whatever it is up to the truck. I would do a, you know, send the dog on a 30, 30 yard little cast around it. And if there's nothing there, okay, unload your gun and, and hang it it's, up. It's but amazing how more often times it than happens. Not. I, I don't know why, like why birds end up there. I, I don't know why, but what worse because you reminded me, I, I forgot that we were debating or discussing what constitutes a truck bird. Like, is it does it have to be within a certain radius of the truck? Do you have to see the truck? To you, what what's the criteria? What makes up an actual, what constitutes a truck bird? So we were talking about that, and I was thinking about it last night. I, I don't completely know. I like the idea that you have to see the, the truck, but especially grouse hunting. Sometimes I can't see the dog on point. 12 feet away from me if you're in something like that and you parked it on the edge of the cover i would say my definition of a truck bird is when you in your mind are close enough to the truck where you go oh. that you're starting yeah to undo your vest start, yep, that, yeah just like bummer you know whether bummer or wow we had a great time when you in your mind have concluded the hunt that was it man i wish we would have got that last grouse or X, Y, Z. So it's more of a mental radius, if yep. you will. To And I, I would agree with that to where we all know it to where you start reaching for your keys in your vest pocket. You to break hit the, the gun. You're you going to yeah. take a shell out. You snap your vest. Yep. Something like that. That radius where you're like, you've mentally concluded the hunt. This was a good hunt. Or, man, I wish this would have happened better. Or where am I going to go next? That's the point. That you're in truck bird territory. If it seems <laughs> counterintuitive to you, like if you have to purposely make an effort, keep the shotgun loaded, and yep. you make that choice, like there might be a truck bird, then that's what constitutes a truck bird. Because, yeah, to your point, the if you can see the truck, but if you go out west, you can see freaking yeah. 500 yards. yards. That doesn't count. Then in the rough grouse was to your point, you know, you can't see 30 yards sometimes, especially if it's a winding trail. But you bring up the first time experience because, you know, me and you had that awesome hunt. We came back, you know, it was just one of those hunts that we left at shooting light. Like we stayed out there when you're in yeah, birds, you don't at... leave them. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up dropping Rachel and, and the vet, we dropped them, you know, for another walk through the woods a real quick just hour walk with them and they were pointing and finding birds and again if we could shoot i still think i did wing that one and unfortunately we didn't recover it before it it pitched out again like yep. it, it went down then the next day you go on your first guide hunt so how was it going from that high of a hunt to where it's just like man birds everywhere trigger happy having fun to now you go from trying to get yourself into birds now my job is to get other people into birds. Yeah, so I've I'm helping Jerry out for a couple of days up here. We just concluded a big event that we had with RGS in Minnesota, so I'm in the area. And obviously we went went out the other day, but yesterday I I, I guided for him and I got paired with an awesome gentleman. His name was Tom. It was different, but I would I would say I've I've taken people out in the woods before with work for RGS, for some fundraiser stuff, other things where I've acted right as a guide, but not a 
in the perfect official sense. So it wasn't completely my first time, but it's it's a whole different perspective. I was very curious of, you know, am I going to, on a one-day thing here or there for work or whatnot, you feel rewarded from it, but I'm like, am I going to enjoy not carrying a gun as much, or is that going to, you know, detract the experience for me, or am I going to get the joy out of the dog or the joy out of... I was just curious about all these things. Man, I had a freaking blast. We had a riot. He hadn't been a uh, gentleman's from Tennessee, and he hadn't been up in the Northwoods for 10 years. 10 years was the last time he was at Pine Ridge. And I, I told him the night before, I said, hey, and he told me, yeah, that's my name, et cetera. And he told me kind of quick in the conversation that he's 70. Perfect. You know, I'm trying to plan the day, the next day ahead. And I said, do you want to walk some trails? He had two dogs himself. He had yeah, a setter. And because a part new... of this game is figuring out the client's physical capabilities, especially when you get around that age. But he looked, he did not look 70. Didn't look 70 at all. No. And he had a four-year-old setter and a six-month-old Brittany pup. And we're talking about kind of the game plan and stuff. And, you know, would you like to get into Woodcock for the pup or one of your dogs? Do you want to get after grouse? And he was like, nope, I am up here to hunt grouse and chase them. And I said, are you cool? Kind of going. He goes, man, you can send me through the shit. And I said, <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> I said, game on, buddy. I know what we're going to do. I had such a blast and hearing people's stories and, you know, the time when you're in the truck going from cover to cover, there hasn't been very many situations in my life where I've got such a, a sense of knowing somebody in such a short period of time than when hunting with them. And in this perspective, you know, I was guiding, but I, I took a lot away from that and we had excellent dog work. We got his four-year-old on a bunch of birds in total. I think we moved 30 low 30s grouse and a whole mess of woodcock. His dog pointed some woodcock, retrieved one, had two excellent grouse points. My dog, I took Josie out, my three and a half year old. She did some excellent dog work in the first cover we were in, put her up after that. Overall, it was a great experience and it was tremendously rewarding. And you hear people's stories, you know, outside of hunting their life, you know, their stories, their family, X, Y, Z. And it's, it's exciting to be able to share those experiences with people in that sense when you're hunting. And you talk about like Pine Ridge. This place is a very, very special place. Jerry's a curator, in my opinion. You look at all the, the art on the walls, the different signs, the people that are here, everything else. It, the sense of camaraderie up here is hard to explain. It really is. And I was just excited to be able to be a part of that and be able to take a, a gentleman that just retired on his his first grouse hunt in 10 years and share the day with them. But I tell you what, those birds weren't playing fair yesterday. They, I would have loved to have been able to have him connect with a grouse, but it just wasn't in the books. I think I would echo so much of that, especially, you know, coming from somebody who wouldn't be technically described as probably the most social person outside of, you know, hunting in the dog world, such as myself, <laughs> I can say not to like overblow it or over romanticize it. I think that, you know, there are other people that, that do the romanticizing stuff so much better than I, I could ever do it justice. But to kind of, uh, echo or mirror what you're saying, it's like, it's amazing how many friendships and connections you make just by sharing the woods. And then it's like, you come to a place such as Pine Ridge, and I've heard about it, read about it, seen posts and, and stuff like that over the years, but you finally kind of come here, and I was excited to see it for myself in person. 
And you nailed it on the head to where like Jerry has built something to where like if you could bottle up that experience and getting to know somebody within the woods in that short window of opportunity, that hour, two, three hour walk, and by extension, bring that into camp with you to where you don't have to be in the woods getting to know them in the throughout the course of a hunt. You're doing that in camp over food with a beer in your hand, a drink in your hand around the campfire. And it's like everybody hears from different walks of life. You have people shuffling in for the first time. You have people coming out that have been here for a week. And it's like, there's, there's never this awkward exchange to where it's just like, Oh, I didn't see you yesterday. You're brand new. Like, it's just, everybody comes together and regardless of what they do for a living or where their background or their age It all focuses around rough grouse, woodcock, the dogs, and the lifestyle in general. And to me, like, that's not something you can't just slap up four walls and and cook dinner for somebody and call it grouse camp and, and come across that same, that same vibe if you will. And, uh, you know, this is Pine Ridge. They don't sponsor the podcast or anything. They invited me up here and, and I'm just saying this out of what I've witnessed for myself with my own two eyes. And the fact that it's just like, I came up here without any plans on who to hunt with, who, who, who to talk to (laughs) nothing. It's like, everybody's like, well, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out tomorrow. Like every day has been different and there hasn't been a single day to where it's just like, I have to ask myself like who I'm going hunting with or, or where it's just like, you know, you can get some solo walks in, you can, you know, invite somebody else. You have other people inviting you. It's just like, it really is just kind of a, a culture all centered around the same exact interest and passion. And it's a special place. And I've only been here for three or four days now. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed is, you know, in all sorts of different events or whatever, where people are kind of standing around, it's like, well, should I go talk to this guy or this gal or go over? Everybody up here, if you're not talking to somebody, (laughs) they either look at you and make eye contact. You're going to them or they're coming. <laughs> Hi, I'm blah, blah. Where are you from? What kind of dogs do you have? Yeah. You know, what are you shooting? This, that. How was your day? Well, it's... Jerry will just walk in and just tell you, you sit here, you sit there. Yeah. And like, he'll just mix up the table. <laughs> yeah. And at first it's a little awkward. It's like, I don't know them. But then you sit down and it doesn't matter. It's like, what dogs are you on? Where are you from? And then it's off to the races after that. Yeah, exactly. Which is which is special. It's fun. Everybody's having a real good time up here. Yeah. Well, speaking of a real good time, I mean, I know you and I could go on and on, uh, especially I feel like we, we didn't touch on all the, the contacts and stories we could tell from that special hunt the other day, but that's just also what the type of hunt that people refer to when they're talking about, you know, memories through October, you know, those special hunts that, that will live on in your head. And and probably this time next year, it'll be overblown to where when we're talking about flushing doubles, we're flushing eight grouse out of that cover. Anyway, it's like that old fishing story. It's going to get bigger uh, over time, but speaking of good times, I I think I heard the rain stop falling on the roof. So I think it's time to get back out in the woods. We only got one. I guess we got a couple windows in here. They just closed. (laughs) Can't really tell. (laughs) I wish right. people. I wish you could see where we're sitting right now. Right, we we are literally <laughs> in in a shack a by shack. the definition of it. Uh, it's the guide shack, and uh, it works well. You know, keeps you keeps you dry as as we just experienced with the monsoon that we had this morning. But I think it's time to get out there and go chase some birds again. Hopefully, the radar will prove me right and that the rain's moved out. One so. one quick thing before we wrap this up with, and I think it illustrates well, 
is we were flexible this morning, right? We went in thinking, hey, we might have some rain. We might not. We're going to go try to hit this cover. We get there. It starts pouring down. We peel back and come back in here to do this. And now the rain stopped and we're, we're easing up. But one thing that I have learned with grouse hunting versus like maybe pheasant hunting or out on the, the plains is being flexible has a lot of value in it and not sticking. This is my plan. I'm going to go hit this, walk this, turn over here, do that, especially when you throw the dogs into the mix and they're going all over the place and finding birds all. Having some flexibility, I think, will get you a long way when you're trying to chase grouse and not being rigid. Absolutely. I think we touched on that while walking the other day to where I've gone on some trips where I have an itinerary down, like we're hunting here this morning, that, and it's so rigid that it almost sucks the enjoyment out of the trip almost. And it kind of unfairly puts some expectations on, on trips like that. But to your point, it's just like you come into something like this, just being flexible. You, you know, if somebody asks you to tag along, don't just say no because you had your one plan over here. It's just go with the flow almost. And it seems to pay off a lot more. Yep. I would absolutely agree. So, all right, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. Real quick, tell everybody where they can find you at if they're kind of in your area for your uh, RGS coordinator and engagement stuff and all that. Where can they look you up on Instagram and whatever? I actually just, all my colleagues have been hounding me about getting an Instagram. So I just started one. <laughs> uh, positive feedback or negative criticisms, welcome. It's Gabe underscore a field on Instagram. That's the handle for that. But otherwise, anything RGS related in Wisconsin, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, you can go to roughgrousesociety.org, get my contact information there, phone numbers there, email there. It's Gabe S, so like Gabe's, at roughgrousesociety.org. If you have any questions, concerns, reach out there. I'd love to chat with you guys. If you're not already members, I would highly consider or would highly suggest that you become members. Rough Grouse Society is at the forefront of wild of uh, forest wildlife conservation. When you think about forests and the wildlife that live there, we are the organization that is doing the work and managing the habitat on the ground to keep these rich traditions that we have alive. Absolutely. Gabe, I enjoyed it. Got to, I enjoyed getting to know you in the woods and doing this podcast a little bit more. And I look forward to the next time we can circle back and randomly link up and share a walk again. Absolutely. Let's get out there while the rain stops and go run some dogs and shoot some birds. Let's do it. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gabe Stone presented by Standing Stone Supply, Onyx Hunt, DT Systems, Upland Gun Company, and Final Rise. It's a lot of fun getting out in the woods with new people, new dogs, and new areas. It's why I do it so often and try and put myself in a position to where you know, while I love and, and particularly, or I should say especially, I love my solo hunts with just me and my dogs. There's just something to sharing the woods with with people and buddies and, and just 
getting to know know them throughout a hunt it's kind of like you know the language of grouse hunting transcends all you can apply that to upland hunting in general for sure you know it but rough grouse hunting is something special you know it's it's a, a lot of my closest friendships and relationships with people have been cultivated or solidified in the grouse woods it's at some way shape or form nowadays it's uh whether it, it's creating new friendships and meeting new people through the shared passion and shared interest in grouse hunting or whether it's taking a close friend that just has an interest in testing it out and you get to go out there and any anybody that's been grouse hunting for an extended period of time can can relate to that moment when there's success and the camaraderie between, you know, not only the people, but the dogs as well. When you see those light bulb moments for young dogs, when you see maybe that beginner hunter, that somebody starting out that it, let's face it, grouse hunting is tough. We've talked about it in a number of different ways on the episodes over the past, you know, four weeks or so. Rough grouse hunting is hard. It is fast and it is challenging. So when somebody that's been struggling to learn and figure it out to begin with finds success, it means just as much to you as it does to them in a lot of different ways. And that that's why it's just, I don't shy away when a lot of people ask me to go hunting and, you know, you're not going to get along with everybody out in the woods and not everybody's style is going to complement each other very well, but you don't really know that until you get out there. But this experience and, and getting out with Gabe and a few others on my recent trips, they're great examples in the fact that I didn't know Gabe from anybody. I mean, we had never spoken. I didn't even know Gabe existed until I got up there and we, we met around the campfire and then we started talking and, you know, the conversations range from, you know, what kind of dogs you run and why all the way through our life changing conservation practices and, and our outlooks on things, you know, everybody kind of knows those tailgate discussions and campfire discussions, but just getting out and sharing the woods is a lot of fun. We found success. He got to see my dogs work. I got to see his dogs work and there was there there was great dog work and great shooting and there was poor dog work and poor shooting i mean everything that kind of makes up the ingredients of of a quality outing i i just really enjoyed it and it was you know we we touched a little bit on our real big enjoyable walk and hunt in this episode and it it was kind of surprising you know initially when we came out of the woods we were talking about we we're going to head back to camp and immediately fire up the recorder and, and record this amazing podcast episode on on that specific hunt because it was that special but then when we got back to camp you know you get around all the other people the guides the guests and you get caught up talking but next thing you know it's just too late and and so we kind of put it off a couple of days until we had this this moment to where we got reined in to the shack and so we decided to go ahead and hit record but just in those two two and a half days whatever it was from that that one hunt that we had to when we finally had a chance to sit down and and record we forgot so many of the details everything that we were going through the woods in that hunt talking the entire time about man we got to bring this up we got to bring that up we got to talk about this we got to talk about that it was like immediately after we hit the stop button it th i don't know for the rest of the day we were kind of mentioning to each other texting each other man we forgot about this we forgot about that 
And it got me thinking, you know, I've talked about this on other podcasts. I've talked about this on mine here and there is the importance of journaling and, and not so much just like everything doesn't have to be practical or pragmatic or serve some sort of purpose to to get better. I mean, I think everybody that listens to this kind of understands my affinity for tools such as that that helps me get better at things. But at the same time, I need to do a better job at journaling and at least cataloging or archiving some of the the details to these hunts because now we're a few weeks removed and just some of those moments that meant so much in 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 that particular time and space has the details have kind of left and I feel like if I do a better job of cataloging that then maybe some of those details stick around and I, and I think I think ultimately that's what the writers and the photographers in our space do such a good job of. I mean, it just, you know, the, their attention to detail and not not only attention to detail and filing it away, but remembering it and being able to bring it back to life, you know, be it through a picture. You know, Kevin Erdvig, I got to hunt with him a few times up at, at Pine Ridge, you know, what he does with a camera. I just simply can't do, you know, it's, I take some decent pictures from time to time, but more or less, that's just luck. I just kind of pray and spray and just take a whole bunch of different pictures and and one out of a thousand might be decent, but guys like Kevin, it, it really is an art. And then, you know, you talk about, there's a handful of writers in our space that, that, you know, it's always worth checking out because they just have a way of painting the picture with words. And it's, you know, I, I don't really, uh, see myself or really don't even have a desire to to be one of those guys to, that that can romanticize things so well but I'm not going to lie there are some hunts and some memories that I wish you know stayed fresher on my mind if you will anyway you know take that for whatever it's worth you know if you're not cataloging or journaling in some way shape or form I highly encourage it I know the episode I recently did on the Birdshot podcast with Larson we were talking about that briefly I think it was in part 2 and he mentioned Nick, uh, Nick Larson mentioned an app, some some kind of audible version of it. I need to go back and look into that and, and see if that's a, an option that might help me archive some of these memories that, that I can revisit in years to come or at least remember them just a few weeks removed either way. But yeah, with all that being said, I've recently been getting a lot of questions via email, social media, stuff like that. I'm not exactly sure what I want to do with them. I'm still answering them the best I can to people. Obviously, Patreon patrons come first and they also get a little bit more attention from me. You know, I'm a little bit more available and quicker to arrange and schedule a call if there's a question that just requires a little bit more context or follow up. But all these other questions and answers and and I'm starting to list them out. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I might. I'm kind of toying around with the idea of maybe I compile them and, into a specific episode. Maybe I knock out like a my first solo episode doing that or maybe I just kind of sprinkle them in, do one, you know, on every outro or something like that. If you have any kind of preference or thoughts, if you would like a question on every single outro that I answer, let me know your thoughts. If you would like to hear a, a Q&A dedicated episode on occasion, let me know. If you have any questions yourself, this can be anything dog related or lifestyle related or hunting related, whatever kind of floats your boat, you know, by all means, shoot them to us. You can do it on any of our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, 
Gundog It Yourself, and then you can also shoot us an email at gundogityourself at gmail.com. One question I do continue to get outside of just trying to help people, but more or less some people trying to ask how they can help the podcast, maybe Patreon uh, isn't something that that they feel comfortable doing right now and, and you know making that monthly voluntary contribution, but they're asking how else can they help the show? I, I always tell them that the cheapest, quickest, and easiest way to help the show is to share the show. Get people listening to the show, you know, send one of your favorite episodes to somebody you think it might help, whatever, you know, if you see our posts on social media, you know, hit that share button, hit that like button. I mean, I get a ton of people saying, oh, I saw your post. I love that picture. And then, you know, they they didn't like it or, or comment it. You know, I'm not I'm not doing this for a whole bunch of attention, but, you know, it, it does take up time and resources. And so, you know, all the extra listeners or eye, eyeballs that we can get on whatever we do is much appreciated. So if you're listening to this and you just you appreciate this podcast or this platform for what it is and you want to help it out outside of joining patreon or something like that then just hit that share button it it truly does go a long way and in helping spread our footprint if you will but with all that being said again you know if you have any questions uh shoot them to me gundog yourself at gmail.com but i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up i've been rambling long enough thanks again to uh gabe and everybody else at pine ridge for entertaining me for a few days it was a blast and i can't wait to get back there uh with that being said I will talk to you guys here soon on another episode of GDIY. Appreciate it. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.